How do you feel? I feel great. <laughs> Got up this morning and everything worked. I feel great. You know, the weather is beautiful. Riding my bike around, watching the waves. It's just great. Come over the hill, about 40 surfers looking out. <laughs> Fun to watch. You know, my health, and that of all my family members, is it's just great right now. It's Mom's Day, and everybody's in a good mood, you know? Hey, and we're all at church with our eternal family. Hmm. We're loved and we're loving. Life is great. And we feel great. But what if things were different? What if the weather was terrible? Not like we know that here, but... And what if I was really sick? Or what if one of my granddaughters was in the hospital? What if Mom's Day for me was just a reminder of, a, of how terrible a mom I had instead of a reminder of the good mom I had and the good mom my kids have? What if it was the other way around? Would it be great? What if everyone around me hated God and wanted nothing to do with Him or me? What if I didn't feel loved and I certainly didn't feel like loving? Would I still feel the day is great? Okay. It wouldn't be fair to say great. But, but would we still be okay if everything around us was not okay? And I mean everything. All right, we're not we're not talking Job here. <laughs> he he really lost everything. All his property was destroyed or stolen. All his kids, all his kids were killed, every one of them. His vibrant health was reduced to pus scraping misery. <laughs> we're not talking Job here. The only thing he was left with was a bitter nagging wife and life such as it was. <laughs> We're not, we're not there, but in the midst of Israel's dark ages, the time of the judges, for a woman to lose her husband and kids while living in a foreign land is about as bad as it can get. It's Mom's Day. So today we're going to look at a very famous woman who, in human terms, became an ancestor of Jesus. We will look at what the circumstances of life dumped on her and how she responded. How she, instead of letting those circumstances drive her, trusted God and drove her life in trust of God. We are going to find out that uh, she was not perfect. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, she got depressed. And more than a few times, she was ready to throw in the towel, as we say, to give it up. But she didn't give up. She didn't let life drive her 
she drove her life towards God. And God blessed her beyond all expectations. All of her expectations beyond anyone's expectations. So who is this woman? Well, there's an entire book of the Bible. It's devoted to her and her family. But the book isn't even named after her. (laughs) It's named after her daughter-in-law, Ruth. But it starts and ends with our heroine, Naomi. Naomi. English. Ruth is an exemplary heroine. If you haven't read it recently, uh, she was born a Moabite who were some of the most vile people of the time. Okay, Their sexual sins, for instance, were, were like infamous throughout the region, Okay, the Moabites. But Ruth didn't conform to her circumstances either. She trusted in the God to whom Naomi introduced her. Boaz, the one who follows the word of God and in fact influences nearly his entire community towards God, is another fantastic saint of God's that's recorded in the book of Ruth. But as we've stated, the book of Ruth starts and ends with Naomi. Okay, well, Naomi's circumstances. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land and a man of Bethlehem in Judea went to sojourn in the valley, in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. All right, let me point out a few things here. First, there's a very good chance that Naomi had no choice in this. (laughs) I mean, in fact, given the times it is very likely that she didn't even get to choose Elimelech as her husband. Some women didn't even meet their husbands until the wedding. Okay, That's the times. Naomi was thrust into this situation, including the move to Moab, almost certainly without any say. You ever had anything bad happen to you over which you had no control? Well, you'll be able to relate to Naomi then. And also note that Elimelech was wrong in going to Moab. I mean, sure, from a business standpoint, one could see it. (laughs) Moab had springs that pretty much insulated it from the effects of drought, where Bethlehem Ephratha had no significant water source at all, and they depended on their underground water storage systems, their cisterns. So when they went dry, famine. But Moses had written to Moab not to seek their peace or their prosperity all your days forever. Okay. (laughs) We'll also note that Naomi later says that God was a witness against her, apparently referring to their going to Moab, even though she may not have had a choice. Sometimes we do take the guilt of others on ourselves, even when we're not guilty. And women do seem especially prone to this. But let's watch how Naomi recovers even from this tendency. And Naomi's sons were like their father. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah. The name of the other, Ruth. 
They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Near Eastern narrative is thematic and not necessarily chronological, so we don't know when exactly Elimelech and then Malon and Kilion uh, died, but we are told Naomi was there for ten years, or possibly ten years after Elimelech died, or maybe ten years after the boys were married. <laughs> anyway, it was a while. She was there quite a while, probably much longer than they intended to stay. The boys took after their dad in disregarding the Mosaic law by taking Moabite wives. They weren't supposed to do that. They also apparently took after their dad as to health. Uh, you may know that uh, names you know, meant a lot back then. Uh, people were named things on purpose. And both of their names pointed toward bad health. You didn't know that. They actually mean bad health. So here's a woman who was brought from Israel to Moab by her husband with two sons who followed their dad's bad example and all three of whom had died. <laughs> okay, a little side point here. Naomi didn't get to choose her husband and, and her parents, frankly, seem to have done a rather poor job of it. But that's not the deal today. I think we need to tell young women that a good mom chooses a good dad for her kids. <laughs> you know, the, the young girls have really strong feelings. <laughs> you know, we all did as teenagers, but it's very common. There's a new book out called Mom, I Hate My Life. <laughs> Every teenage girl is going through that. And so we have to tell them we're aware of your desperate feelings. Uh, you know, you might be rejected. <laughs> and you might never get a husband if you don't grasp the first one that comes along. <laughs> but we need to tell them that pretty much every teenage girl feels this way. But, but please be careful. <laughs> and, and trust us that the pain of living a life with an unworthy man is worse than any desperate feelings you might have especially when you have to watch your children and grandchildren grow up and follow in his footsteps. Not something you want to deal with. Anyway, pass that news on. <laughs> Whatever the case, Naomi is now in a worse situation yet. She is in a society where a woman had only her family to take care of her. That's it. And now she's a widow with nothing but two daughter-in-laws who are also widows. But she doesn't just sit there and mope. Oh, woe is me. <laughs> no, then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. No that as old as she was, we find out more later, she was working in the fields of Moab to survive. That's where she heard the news. <laughs> in other words, she's taking control of her life. One little step at a time, maybe, but she is. And I, I think we can be pretty sure that the Moabites <laughs> didn't ascribe the end of the famine in Judah to the Lord. Okay, they weren't saying that. <laughs> the, 
Naomi heard the news that they had food and she ascribed it to God herself. You know, watch carefully when you read this, by the way, how often she speaks of God. Note also, by the way, here that she takes responsibility for her daughters-in-law. More to come on that. And last, that she aimed for where God wanted her to move. (laughs) She moved there. She's aiming there. That's where she's going. And don't think it was all that easy. It was a dangerous and hard trip. And she was, in a sense, going into the unknown. I mean, what's happened? They've been gone all those years. What has happened there? She doesn't know. And then there's the emotion. Remember, in leaving Moab, she's leaving the graves of her husband and both her sons. She's leaving behind the familiar. Naomi was willing to leave the old life behind to seek what God wanted her to do and to have. And when you're where God doesn't want you, when you are where God doesn't want you, you have to be willing to leave that behind. <laughs> we got to leave the old behind. Everything sometimes. At least willing to leave everything behind to get where He wants us to be. You know, to get our lives back. But after starting, Naomi seems to have had some second thoughts. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say that I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Three times she tells them to return, turn back. And her concern for them was real. You know, a pleasant outcome for them in going with Naomi was by no means assured. In fact, it was improbable that it should be good for them. And added to Naomi's concerns for her own welfare is that of her daughters. Did you catch that? The narrator lets us know that they are not her blood relatives, but Naomi doesn't think that way. In her mind, if God gives you someone to care for, they are yours to care for. Her affection for them is real. I think we need to have real affection for those whom God, for whom God expects us to care. We saw in this dialogue Naomi's unwavering focus on God. And now we are given another twist in the story that is really unexpected. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Naomi, (laughs) what are you doing? (laughs) 
Orpah kissed her goodbye and left, but Ruth doesn't want to leave. So Naomi tries to push her away. Now go go after. Uh, we know Naomi genuinely cares for her daughters, so why press Ruth to leave? I think it's related to easy believism. <laughs> you ever heard of it? You know, those people who love quickly and easily. They believe quickly and easily, eh, but they don't really intend to commit. <laughs> Not absolutely. I think, in spite of all the terrible things that have happened to her, no, no, let's, because of all those things that happened to her, she knows that Orpah's love for her and her commitment to the Lord is nothing but shallow talk. Just surface stuff. She talked the talk. She wept loudly. But in the end she left and went back to her gods. Hmm. Maybe, maybe we do make it too easy on our kids. I often think so. Maybe we need to push them harder. You know, put up or shut up. <laughs> Maybe that's the kind of thing we need to be saying. If they really do love us, if they really do intend to worship God, won't they respond correctly? Do we trust God to make sure they do? But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. When you die, or where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. You know, if we push our kids hard... Oh, at least we'll know. <laughs> you know. We're going to know where they are. They might be like Orpah. Or maybe they'll be like Ruth. And we'll never have to talk to them about it again. Really. But there's another point we need to make. Naomi's husband had not lived life right, at least completely. But women... Don't get a pass because their husbands don't live right. <laughs> it isn't an out for you. It's not an excuse. Now that Naomi could control what was happening in her life, she did what was right. And ladies, God will hold you responsible for those things you can control. He will. you got to do your own spiritual living <laughs> and do what is right. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? There's something we need to know. The names thing. Naomi, in Hebrew, means pleasant. Basically. You know, one of those people that you just love to have around. <laughs> They're just pleasant. They're wonderful to have around. And those women knew it. And they were glad to see her. Of course, they couldn't help but notice the absence of her husband and of her sons. And of course, the presence of Ruth. 
She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me, and I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Mara is bitter. The word means bitter. Hardly blame her. She went away full, but returned empty. She was bitter. But empty? The bitterness so overwhelmed her, she forgot about Ruth. (laughs) But the narrator gives us a hint of the better things God has planned that will shortly take place. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite with her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Naomi left in a famine and came back when the first harvest of the season was beginning, one that wasn't happening when they left. And she came back with Ruth I think we need to remember, especially when circumstances seem to be driving our lives instead of us driving it, that God will supply, you know, things we need and people who care. He will. But I don't think we should be too hard on Naomi. In her short little bitterness speech, (laughs) she twice used the name of the Lord, Yahweh, twice. And twice in that little speech she referred to him as the Almighty. Which is interesting in light of our discussion just last week. Remember what those angelic creatures closest to God say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Hmm. Naomi may have forgotten Ruth, but she didn't forget God. Our Holy Spirit-inspired narrator now introduces us to Boaz and lets us know he is a relative of Elimelech. A fact most important to the story is the law of Moses required a near relative to act as a redeemer and a, uh, for, of a widow who had not had a child by her first husband. Our focus today is on Naomi, so we won't read this wonderful interaction between Ruth and Boaz. You should go home and read it. We should note that in this section, the exemplary, godly character of Ruth, as well as that of Boaz, are highlighted in in just beautiful form. Basically, we get to this. At the end of her first, very long, work day, Ruth comes home with a tremendous amount of grain. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. You see, all day long, while Ruth was working hard to gain this wonderful bounty, Naomi's sitting at home wondering if they will even have food to eat that night. Okay, There was no cell phones, all right? (laughs) They didn't have a way to communicate. She didn't know what was going on. Now, perhaps it is no surprise that Naomi, before she even knows who it was that made possible this success of Ruth's, She blesses him. And she's just that kind of woman, you know. 
So Ruth identifies their benefactor, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. The living or the dead. Naomi's concerned with the reputation of her dead husband and sons. You see, if she's not taken care of, and clearly neither her husband nor her sons made provision for her, their name would be held in derision. Right? This is just an amazing woman. <laughs> husband like that, and she still cares like that. But there's even more. Naomi said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Hmm. See, Naomi, in spite of her pain, she's looking to the future. And did you note that she did not say Boaz was a close relative of hers, but of ours, one of our redeemers, she said. This is not a selfish woman. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You should keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. Now, of course, we see Naomi's continued concern for Ruth in her response. But there's another aspect to this statement. Naomi knew she could trust Boaz. Women who draw close to God are better equipped to discern those who are close to God. Those that can be trusted. So eased of the immediate concerns of life, Naomi begins to think about their circumstances. Ruth is in the house. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Now, of course, Naomi, once again, demonstrates in her actions that she truly cares for her daughter. But the aspect I want us to note here is her inquiry to Ruth. She asks. In that society, she could have just carried out her plan by herself. She doesn't have to ask. But how much better to involve our children in the process. So Naomi, who knew both the culture and the people best, lays out a plan in which Ruth willingly participates. And it culminates with this request of Ruth to Boaz. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. This beautiful poetic request is fascinating in many aspects. He didn't today read the section where Boaz praises Ruth, but it might interest you to know that this statement of hers clearly references his of her. <laughs> She's quoting back words he had used. Fun to read. Boaz continues to praise Ruth including saying that she is known by all the people of the gate as a worthy woman. The people who met at the gate were the leaders of the community. And worthy, it's the same Hebrew word used earlier to describe Boaz. <laughs> They're both worthy. Boaz also says that if, if uh, he can, he, he will, if at all possible, redeem Ruth. And it, by the way, it's fascinating that he refers to Ruth as my daughter also. 
You've got to read this. It's just beautiful. So when Naomi hears all that transpired, she replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. You know, this wise mother had learned to read men. <laughs> she knew what kind of man this was. And I, I just, people who are close to the Lord, who consume His Word on a daily basis, they learn who they can trust and, and who it is that cannot be trusted. Okay, now another twist. Boaz must negotiate with a man who is a closer relative to Naomi than he is. And this is important because this other man has the first right and responsibility to redeem Ruth. There is a fascinating absence in this section that we haven't seen since the first few verses. And I don't think it's a happenstance. All through this story, the narrator, the hero, and the heroines, and most of the people around them pepper their speech with the name of the Lord and references to Him and to His work. But in this entire negotiation, Boaz does not once mention or refer to God. This is a negotiating with a man who does not do God's will. It, it will surprise you not that the other man does not mention God either. <laughs> I think when we deal with those who have no respect for God, we should be cautious in our speech. Jesus said, Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ungodly people do not respond to godly statements. In fact, they, may, they might even trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. you. You've probably heard people that deride Christians by misquoting Scripture or taking it completely out of context. In other words, let's not give them ammunition to misuse. I think that's what the point is here. <laughs> well... Boaz appeals to this man's money and his ego. <laughs> you know, a good man would say, you know, money and how I feel about myself are important, but secondary to what I should do in God's eyes. Yeah, this man does not. <laughs> he goes money and ego. And uh, his greater goals are to keep his uh, money that he has and to protect number one, you know, protect his ego, keep his name, his own name. Wise men like Boaz and wise moms like Naomi, learn to recognize and rightly deal with people of this kind of nature as well. Well, whether it was Boaz's influence or simply that God had prepared a spiritually strong community, the response of the people is most encouraging. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make, this, make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Okay, there's... That verse has a lot of stories connected to it. I mean, there's just a bunch there. The point here is they use those words because they all knew those stories. They were well versed in Scripture. Yeah, what a blessed town where leaders of the town are steeped in the Word of God. 
What a blessed nation that can say the same. But that's another sermon altogether. Okay, Boaz and Ruth are married. And although she never conceived with her God-ignoring husband, (laughs) the Bible says the Lord gave her conception with Boaz and they have a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer and may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. <laughs> ah, my one point. The, the women said Naomi. Hey, that Mara stuff. That whole bitter... Now, skip that. Naomi. Hmm. What a picture of the grace of God in her life. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. Let me ask you a question. Do you think this godly grandmother from whose lips we have constantly heard of God might possibly inundate her grandson with stories of the glory and the grace of God? Possible? (laughs) Yeah, I think, you know, even in the midst of great pain and loss, God was with us. Can you just hear? Constant. When we move from being just parents, as if just, to being grandparents, it may be that our job of teaching of and about God increases. So what about when we become great-grandparents? And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. (laughs) They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. (laughs) Naomi probably didn't live long enough for David, Israel's greatest king, to hear her speak of the Lord. But I will guarantee you he heard this story. And, And I'm sure many, many more of Naomi. You know, when a woman picks a husband, she should be thinking of more than herself and even more than her children. Naomi could never have known that David would be born in her line one day. Certainly, she didn't know that God would promise the Messiah would come from David's line, which is, by the way, from Naomi's line. But she lived life like that would be the case. She lived life like that would be the case. That could happen. That's how she lived her life. She lived a godly life. She recognized always that God was active in the good, in the bad. She learned to act right even if she didn't feel right. And through depression and hurt, she pressed ever forward towards her God and Savior. Always. Life didn't drive her. She drove life. You know, her husband didn't serve God as he should have. 
Her sons followed in their father's footsteps. As a matter of fact, her entire nation was running amok in godlessness. I think I've heard that somewhere. But through all this and all the hurt, Naomi learned to trust in God. And God rewarded her. Obviously, in this life, He rewarded her. And with a Savior who would give her eternal life. She pushed her daughter hard (laughs) to ensure her faith was real. And she drove towards God again and again. I think Paul captured the spirit of this godly mother and grandmother and great-grandmother and great-great-grandmother quite well. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who us who are mature think this way. Press on. Naomi, ah, circumstances. Thank you, God, that I never had those circumstances. But she pressed on. She didn't quit. And she became a mother to Ruth. A grandmother to Obed. A great-great-grandmother to King David. The greatest king of Israel. And eventually, through her, we have Jesus Christ in the flesh. Amazing. We can't let life circumstances drive us. And now, of all times, we can go forward. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed this message first heard at Living Hope Church of Westport. Please feel free to worship with us, maybe this next Sunday. You can also join us online at southbeachhope.org. We'd appreciate your financial support if that is possible. We are a tiny church in a small town, but at least, with the help of Sermon.net, we can share the good news with you and everyone around the world. Hopefully, we'll someday be able to worship God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture.